Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Jerry Steinberg, State of the U podcast host. Uh, joined this afternoon by Craig Smith, Mike Grunewald, and Scott Salomon. We're going to talk about Canes football. The Canes open the season tomorrow at Louisville. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about the season. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that happened on Saturday. And we're going to talk definitely a little bit about Florida State struggles with Oklahoma State. And we're going to get some NFL in, too. So, good afternoon, guys. How you guys all doing? Doing so great. Cool. well. Uh, glad to have you guys on. Uh, Craig, you're a newcomer on the show, so I'm going to start with you. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of coverage on State of the U on, on the season, and we've been talking about the Louisville game quite a bit. Uh, give me your three keys to tomorrow night's game on what Miami needs to, needs to do to win. Well, I'd say one thing that they have to do, obviously, that, you know, with the obvious buzz being, you know, Brad Kai's and insertion in the starting lineup, winning the job, you know, I, I think they're just going to have to focus on keeping it simple. They're going to have to focus on using that big offensive line, uh, establishing the running game early, giving him, to, you know, getting the ball, giving him the chance to, you know, put the ball into the hands of the playmakers early, just, you know, with the short routes, the swing routes. Use that offensive line. Uh, with Duke Johnson and Joe Scurby in space. Get those guys involved. Get the short passes. You know, get Stacey Cole involved. Use Clive Walford with the short passing game. Get the mismatches. Just make it easy for Brad early on. I think that that's, that's so important for this offense. I mean, obviously he's been given the keys to a Ferrari, but just, you know, Miami has had a, a very, very, very short history of starting two freshman quarterbacks out of the gate, if I recall correctly. The only one who's done it was Jacory Harris in 2008. So um, keep it simple for him. Uh, obviously, defensively, if we look back at what happened last year, uh, you know, I was <laughs> being at that miserable Citrus Bowl stadium for that game, the 36-9 game. Uh, you know, 447-yard passing. Certainly Miami secondary looks like it has – you know, another year forward, you know, and certainly all the potential in the world there, but just the lack of the pressure on Teddy Bridgewater and just how much time he's had to throw, you know, obviously I don't care if it would have been Will Gardner or Teddy Bridgewater in there this year or last year. They've got to create some pressure, and that's the reason that Will was able to throw for, for 450 yards. Will Gardner's played played in seven games, I think, for Louisville, you know, sparingly in and uh, and spelling Bridgewater in his career so far, he's just a sophomore. But uh, yeah, Miami's got to answer some questions about creating pressure and can they do it? Can uh, AQM? Can Tyreek McCord? And can Anthony Chicklow? Can those guys get the pressure that they need to get? Uh, so defensively, I, I think it's it's huge. Can they can they start the season off on the right note, creating the pressure? Because it all comes down to that for Miami, I think. Hey Craig, before we, uh, I, I want to get to you next, Scott, but. But, Craig, before uh, we get to um, some more of our questions here and some more of our panelists, can you tell us a little bit about the next book that you have coming out? I I, I hate to put you on the spot and force you to do a little self-promotion, but uh, I, I know myself <laughs> as a Kings fan, I'm, I'm definitely interested. Tell us a little bit about what you what you got coming up. Absolutely. Uh, well, actually, my book, Game of My Life, Miami Hurricanes, comes out um, comes out on Tuesday. Uh, I've interviewed 26 former Canes, uh, including – you know, from Ted Hendricks, Jim Burt, Mark Richt, uh, Vinny Testaverde, Steve Walsh, uh, Ken Dorsey, Santana Moss, uh, John Vilma, Kellen Winslow Jr., Brock Berlin, 
uh, and as recently as Mike James about the games of their respective careers uh, and, and uh, wrote a chapter for each of those players. So it's pretty neat. You know, they give you some inside information, uh, you know, what they were thinking uh, and, 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 and recalling the best games of their career. So uh, it's with um, uh, Sports Publishing LLC, uh, subsidiary Skyhorse Publishing, on one of the bigger uh, publishers. It's about 240 pages, and uh, it's available in Florida bookstores on Tuesday and on Amazon.com. So uh, check it out. Yeah, we'll definitely have to touch base with you after it comes out and, uh, and, and you know, talk about it some more. But uh, let, let me get to some of our other panelists. Um, Scott, uh, you have been a huge proponent of um, not only starting Brad Kaya, but of, you know, him having the right tools to do this as a true freshman. Uh, give me a little rundown of what you expect tomorrow night from Kaya uh, individually and what you expect from the offense. I don't expect Kaya to be in a position to where – Golden is going to make him win the game by himself. I think the Kaya is going to be an effective game manager tomorrow. He's got enough tools around him to where he doesn't have to put the whole offense on his shoulders. And I think that's what is going to separate him from many other freshman quarterbacks. Uh, he's got a world of talent around him. He's got a gargantuan offensive line to protect him. Uh, he's got Duke and Joseph Yearby in the in, in the backfield. Uh, he's going to have plenty of options. I look to see him throw the wheel route. Uh, I'd look to see him use Clive Walford. Um, I look to see him do a lot of nickel and dime stuff. Uh, if we need to throw the long ball all night and try to hit the home run with Stacey Coley the whole game, I think we're going to be in trouble. Uh, but it's a completely different team that took the field last year in the Russell Athletic Bowl. Uh, on both sides of the football. I think Louisville also has a different team. We don't have to worry about Teddy Bridgewater coming out of the huddle. Uh, he's definitely not going to be there. Um, breaking news, he went to the NFL. Sure about that. They, they can't sneak a little extra. Uh, they can't get him away from Minnesota for a game because, uh, you know, me personally, I, I wish they had another crack at him. Uh, although it might affect their chances, you know, to win the game, I, I, feel, I feel like uh, he, he really uh, showed them up a little bit. No, let him stay in Minnesota where he belongs. Uh, I'm very comfortable with him being there. Uh, you know, we're not going to have to face Devontae Parker, who ate us alive last year. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't root for injuries, but uh, this couldn't have happened at a more better time for him. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy the way the University of Miami is going into this football game. I think that uh, they're going to be pretty solid on both sides of the football. Um, I, I think that the defensive line is going to put a lot more pressure on the quarterback. I think they're going to plug up a lot of holes, and I don't think well, you're going to see me, teams. Let me cut you off there, Scott. Let me just cut you off there because I, I want to bring Mike Mike Grunwald in, and, and I want to ask him specifically about the defense because he's written a couple articles uh, in the past for us about how Miami's shifting from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And, and I wanted to get Mike's perspective, one, you know, on that continued – um, development and two on what to expect tomorrow night from the D. Um, well, I don't know if it's a good example, but a lot of the defensive sets you saw yesterday by Florida State, although not run necessarily the most effectively, will actually be what you'll see a lot of. You'll see a lot more linebacker flexibility in the sense you'll have like Chad Thomas standing up and Trent Harris standing up and Darian Owens standing up, not necessarily have their hands on the ground. Um, but you'll also see the standard 3-4 with 
you know, the nose tackles and maybe not Weiss per se, but maybe Hertzlu will be in there. So you're going to see, like, you know you've heard the term multiple from Coach D'Onofrio and Golden. Well, that's what it will be. You're not going to see necessarily, like, just a standard 3-4 with huge defensive linemen and four, you know, larger linebackers that are more physical, but you can see a couple of fluid changes. Jermaine Grace will be in on, you know, known third down and longs to be a coverage linebacker. You know, you'll see guys go in just the full purpose of getting to the quarterback, hopefully. Um, so it's going to be a lot of different things. It's going to be multiple attacking ways, and we'll just have to see if they can execute it right now. What do you think the defense ends up doing, Mike? Do you think they, they can hold this offense? I mean, they've got three big backs. Uh, I know Dyer's banged up. Parker's out, but they still have Eli Rogers. Uh, I mean, over under, what do you think about 400 yards, do you think, uh, on Monday night? Do you think they go under or over? I think what she could possibly see. See, I, I have not seen Gardner play, and Petrino hasn't been around for two years. So, and you don't. Well, he has been, but he's been at Western Kentucky, so I kind of take that time as like an off period because it's not the big power conferences. But um, it's tough because, as you saw you know, yesterday, and we'll talk about it later, you don't know what you're going to get with any of these teams um, going into the first week. Some teams that were in the top five looked like they were probably 15 to 20th ranked. Um, some teams in the top 15 or lower, you know, 15 to 20s, looked like they could be top 10 teams. I guess you'd have to go off of the pedigree of Petrino and his offensive mastery. You may not like the guy um, with some of his personal um, ideals or what he's done in the past, but he can coach the offense. Um, so with that said, he goes a typical no huddle, um, getting the ball out quickly and getting it to playmakers, which they have relatively besides, you know, Parker that was mentioned previously. Um, so I could see 450 yards of offense from Louisville, but that wouldn't necessarily be – like a terrible thing. I know that sounds kind of odd, but it is just because that's the way the offense is going to work. It's going to hum. It's just whether you can get the interceptions, the turnovers, and whether our offense can keep up with them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll interject here too. I think the turnover battle, as it is in any football game, is going to be huge. If Miami can get plus two or better in turnovers, I I can't see them losing because I think the offenses are going to go, you know, tit for tat, and you're going to have a slugfest with two teams that are capable of moving the ball. Um, but another key factor, and I want to come back to you on this one, Scott, um, special teams is often underrated, especially in a game with two teams that are this closely matched up. Uh, Scott, I have a two-part question for you. I want to ask you who you think has the advantage in special teams in this game, and then a really, you know, hot topic for a lot of Miami fans I've talked to, uh, who do you think is going to be, uh, in the return game, are they going to use a bunch of players? Or is it going to be Coley? Is it going to be Duke? Who do, who do you think is going to get the majority of work at kick and punt return, and who's got the advantage in special teams? I think you're definitely going to see Stacey Coley back there. Uh, I think he's proven that uh, time and time again he's the guy that you want to go to back there. Uh, you'll still see Duke on the kickoffs. Uh, he's too much of a threat not to put back there, but I think Coley's going to get most of the reps on punt returns. Um the big thing that I'm looking for is what are they going to do when they're punting the football? Uh, Pat O'Donnell's gone. Uh, he went to the NFL, and he was a major weapon for UM last year. He was probably their most valuable player. Uh, my concern is ball control and field position, and we need to make sure that Louisville does not start on the 40-yard line every time they get the football and work with a short field. That's my biggest concern because that's what happened last year 
when they were turning the football over in some of their losses is teams were working on a short field. And you can't test this defense in game one by having their backs to the wall every single series. That, that's an excellent point. I'm going to stick with you for a second, Scott. You, you do a lot of coverage of uh, high school sports in Miami, and you've been a big proponent of Joe Yearby. I, I know you and I have had some conversations about how good Yearby can be. Uh, do we see Yearby back deep a little bit, and, and and how much, you know, how much PT do you think he gets in game one? Uh, I, I think Yearby is going to spell Duke whenever he needs a breather. Uh, you know, Duke's going to carry the ball for us. I I I, I don't see that changing. I, I don't see his workload loosen, uh, 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 lessening. I'm sorry, uh, but I, I think he could come in on third down. I think he's going. He could be a good short yardage back for us. Uh, I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be times where I think they're going to line him up uh, in the slot. At times, there might there might be times where you're going to see him run a lot of motion. Um, there's a lot of ways that, that you can use Yerby, and I, I clearly think that he was the better of the two backs coming out of his high school last year. Uh, I, I think he's better than Cook. Uh, I think if Cook was that good, they would have used him a lot last night. Um, but you know, my concern is that they they use the two of them uh, correctly. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see both of them in the backfield at the same time if they run a two-back set. Uh, because they're going to be hard to stop. Do you think that Yerby gets some work in the kick return game as well? I don't think so. Um, not to say that he's not going to play special teams, but I, I just don't see him uh, as a returner at this point. I think there's, there's just too many weapons ahead of him on the depth chart. All right. And, I mean, yeah, you got guys like Cornell there. Obviously, uh, Phil Dorsett and his four two forty, you know Artie Burns, you know, and and as you mentioned, Poli and Duke. Uh, well, I always have a concern. I always have a concern when you take your top skill players and you put them on special teams, uh, because God forbid there's an injury, you're going to lose them on special teams and the bread and butter position that they play. Uh, you make a good point, but I'm sure the Georgia Bulldogs are glad that they had uh, one of their top players back there yesterday. That, that was that was a real difference maker with Gurley taking that, uh, you know, 104-yard kickoff return. So I, I think he could go either way. Um, uh, if, for those that didn't catch the game, I'm referencing uh, Todd Gurley's kickoff return versus Clemson yesterday. That um, was was a really big play at that stage in the game. Um, but, yeah, I think you make a good point. You hate to lose a guy on an injury. I know years back when the Giants had Jason Seahorn and he was one of the top corners in the NFL, uh, he got hurt returning a kick in a meaningless preseason game, and that, you know, really uh, put his career on a downward trend. Uh, it really hurt the Giants that year. So you make a good point. It can go either way. Um, Craig, I want to bring you back in with, with a different kind of question here. Uh, unrelated to tomorrow's game, just in general, do you think Miami and Louisville can become the kind of rivals? Maybe not Miami and Florida State are, because there there is no rivalry greater than that for either of those teams. But something a little stronger than you know Miami versus Syracuse, Miami versus Pitt, Miami versus Boston College. Do you think these two schools they compete for some of the same recruits? Do you think that they can be uh, big time rivals down the line? Well, I think you mentioned something that's interesting is that Louisville has come to South Florida and done a very good job uh, pulling talent out of South Florida. But uh, what I think makes any good rivalry are memorable games. 
historic games, uh, you know, games that move the needle in the ratings-wise, but also, you know, leave us with um, unforgettable moments. You know, when you think about all the great games with Florida and Florida State over the years, obviously those are regionally driven. Uh, you know, the fans are in the same, uh, you know, backyard. But if you look at Miami and Notre Dame, uh, just how memorable some of those games were. Um, but but also, it has to be for a lot. It has to be for high stakes. You have to have memorable games. You have to have high stakes games. You have to have them over an extended period of time. So uh, I think that's going to involve Miami, you know, first starting to establish in 10 win seasons. Louisville's finished with 12 win seasons the past two years. So uh, let's give credit where credit is due there. They're doing their job. To uh, move themselves, you know, you know, kind of move themselves up to the upper echelon of the college football world. Miami's got to get back up there in order to really create some buzz for these games, uh, and it creates some memorable games. So, uh, I, I, do I think they can? I, I do. I mean, if you go back to 2004, you had an incredible game in the Orange Bowl. Uh, you know, so they, they have had some good games before, but. You know, I think both teams are going to have to start making appearances in the top 15, and uh, somehow they're going to have to probably end up, you know, facing off for the ACC championship uh, at least a time or two before the, there's really, you know, you start to re- want to start to use the rivalry word. But uh, both programs certainly can pull in the talent. Bobby Petrino is an excellent coach. We know what he's done. Uh, and certainly we also have faith in that Al Golden will get Miami uh, back to where we hope, where it has been and where we want it to be and hope that it can Become, but uh, they've got. They both schools really need to get back towards that, towards the top, uh, before and 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 have some high numbers by their uh, by their respective schools before this can really become a true rivalry. I think. All right. This next question is for all three of you, Mike. I'm going to start with you on this one. Give me give okay. me a prediction, a final score for tomorrow, and, and and a brief synopsis of what you expect to play out. Um, again, you know, it's hard, especially after watching yesterday's um, games. I, the coverage we have, you know, that you get really excited for this team, but you have to remember, you know, to go in with trying to keep perspective or something. I, I think because it is in Louisville, it's their first game. It's at 8 o'clock at night. It's a nationally televised game. Um, I would go with Louisville winning. I don't think – I think overall for the season it's going to be better, but I think the team is going to be better. But I think for this game – there's a lot of unknowns that are more negatively affected for Miami, unfortunately. And if it were at home, I'd be more comfortable with it. But I'm going to go with Louisville on this one. Ouch. Brutally honest, but, but I respect it. Uh, Scott, give me yours. Well, I think it's hard to um, evaluate the first game uh, of the season before it happens. Uh you know, you can look to what happened last year, but like I said before, those guys aren't around. You're not going to see Stephen Morris coming out of the tunnel, and he's he's not going to have a gimp ankle anymore. Uh, you're going to see a healthy Brad Kaya come out of the huddle, uh, ready to lead this football team. Miami's nine two and one all time against Louisville. Um, they got thrashed the last time they met them, uh, but they have different rosters. Um, I feel comfortable with Miami going in and winning this football game. Uh, I think that they have the tools. I think they have the weapons. Um, I'm not so high on Bobby Petrino. He's he's a great offensive talent uh, finder. He's a, a good game planner. Um, but what does Bobby Petrino want? 
Bobby Petrino's a quitter. I mean, he quit on his Atlanta Falcons team to go back to Arkansas. Um, I don't know if he's ready for the ACC. I mean, he's coached in lower-level conferences. He was at Western Kentucky because he left Arkansas in shame. Uh, recruits were leaving him left and right, uh, telling him that, that you know, it, which basically tells me that, that people don't want to play there. Um, they're starting uh, with an inferior roster from last year. Uh, they're certainly not as talented uh, at the skill positions with with their injuries. Um, I think Al Golden has his football team the way he wants it to be. I think that he's finally taking advantage of, of his players, and he, he's using local guys, um, and he's using his recruits. And this is a, a, a very big game for Miami. And I think this is where they step up and, and they're going to prove to college football that, you know, University of Miami football not necessarily is back, but that it's on their way. And I think that, that Kai is going to improve during the season. Uh, and I think he's going to start uh, by opening up a lot of eyes tomorrow night. And I think Duke Johnson also has a lot to prove. Uh, I think he's been waiting for this game since he went down with the ankle injury last year against Florida State. Uh, I, I think he's ready to go. Um, I, I just wish this was a home game, but uh, you know I like their chances. I'll take Miami on the road. Uh, well done, Scott. You managed to give a brutal indictment of Bobby Petrino without mentioning the world more, without mentioning the word motorcycle. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of things that can be said about Bobby uh, Petrino. Uh, he he was smart enough to bring Lamar Thomas with him over from Western Kentucky. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, my friend Lamar Thomas is is going to be upset after the game tomorrow night after Miami beats him at home. <laughs> All right, I I I do hope you're right. Uh, Craig, give me your synopsis and your prediction. Well, to follow up on what Scott said, you know, obviously it's it's hard when you're watching these teams play for the first time, uh, you know, of the year to really gauge, you know, where teams are at. You know, you look at UCLA yesterday and you look at, uh, you know, other ranked teams, obviously Florida State, Ohio State, some top teams, even the top teams struggle to get going offensively. Uh, and then you you kind of exacerbate that by the fact, with the fact that both of these schools are going to be breaking in new starting quarterbacks and it becomes even more of a, of almost, I feel like, a coin flip between these two schools. But, um and when you just look at the talent that that Miami has, as far as uh, you know, with obviously with Duke Johnson being back for this game, uh, compared to you know the bowl game last year, and and, and just how much talent Miami has, uh, if they can be smart, you know, and and uh, you know, kind of I don't want to say spoon feed, but um, uh, you know, guide Brad Brad with uh, some smart play calling. You know, and, and establish the running game, get the running game going. Uh, I, I, I think Miami obviously has the capacity for chunk plays, uh, for for the big plays, uh, maybe even a little bit more with Louisville because of dodging that bullet with Devontae Parker. Uh, you know, that Bridgewater and Parker connection obviously being gone. I think Miami has the best player on offense on this. You know, that'll be on the field in Duke Johnson. As well as Stacey Coley, probably over over Eli Rogers, I w- I'd give the edge to Coley there. So I think Miami has the ability to kind of control the clock with that offensive line and hit the big play. And defensively, you know, you know Louisville's probably got the best player defensively on the field, Lorenzo Malden. But you know, I, I still, 
you know, who knows really what we're going to see in this first game from this defense that, that's been questionable. But, you know, on the road, I'm still going to go with Miami just based on the potential, based on based on the offensive potential they have. True freshman, first game starting quarterback. Call me crazy. I'll go with Miami for this one because, quite frankly, I can't think of a reason not to. And I'm with Scott and Craig on this one. Uh, when I look at first games of the year, um, a couple of things always stand out to me. One, there's there's usually more special team breakdowns than later in the season because guys aren't gonna, you know, guys aren't just in the flow yet on special teams. And I like Miami's return men, whoever they may be. As we pointed out, it could be Coley, it could be Duke, it could be Cornelder, it could be Artie Burns. Uh, they, they have no shortage of speed back there. And I mean, special teams usually show up big time in Week One games. Uh, the other thing is we don't know how team chemistry is going to be yet. And as Craig pointed out, when I look at teams, I try and predict who's going to win, and I don't know how they fit together, all the pieces fit together. I usually go with the teams with the best players on the field. Uh, Duke Johnson, Casey Coley, as you mentioned, I'd even argue that Denzel Perryman is, is arguably arguably as good, if not better, than Maudlin. You know, they play different positions. But, you know, Miami's got the, the, the better top-end talent now. Depth is a concern for me at linebacker and defensive line in this game. I, I love Louisville's running backs, um, the way they run the ball. Um, they run with a lot of power. Um, they're they're going to be tough to stop, and that's been, you know, a big Achilles heel for Miami the past two years, stopping the run. That, that's my biggest concern. But I think when it comes down to it, a couple of big special teams play plays and winning the turnover battle uh, all end up making a difference, and Miami ends up winning a game. Somewhere in the range of uh, 34 to 28 or maybe, you know, 31 to 27. It's not going to be a blowout by any means, but I think they have more playmakers. All right. Great segment, guys. I, I want to push forward and, and get past just this one specific game and took it, talk about Miami's season, what we expect. Uh, let's start with with overall season projections of breakout performers. And, and I'm going to start with you on this one, Craig. I'm going to come right back to you. Uh, give me two players, one on offense, one on defense, that you think are going to break out this year. And by break out, I mean guys that haven't had a huge amount of success so far that you think are going to take the next step. Well, I think that, I think defensively the player that, that physically has the ability to kind of take that next step is, is Tyreek McCord. Um, you know, just athletically what he brings to the table as far as a pass rusher, and, you know, it can't be understated. And, and if Miami can kind of – disguise their fronts, you know, how, how they're going to line up in a 3-4, maybe, you know, have shift or, you know, create some confusion with how they, you know, who they have standing up and shift around. Maybe they can really utilize his talents uh, this year more than more than last year. So uh, Tyreek McCord's a guy that I hope could uh, can make that next step. And um, uh, offensively this year, you know, I, I we know what we have, and obviously in Stacey Coley being a first-team Freshman All-American and Duke Johnson, but um, I, I, I'd like for this to be the year that Clyde Walford just becomes the weapon that he really can be. Six hundred, six. I think he had a little over 600 yards receiving last year. Can he be that guy to be that next great uh, tight end at Miami? It's kind of hard, obviously, to do with the with, with with a true freshman quarterback to maybe hit those big chunk plays for you know for him down the middle of the field. Maybe and maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe maybe Brad can he and Brad will develop a quick quick chemistry and they'll be able to hit those plays. But he also could be that safety blanket that create those mismatches. He's a good route runner. He's got the, the obvious size to uh, 
uh, kind of be that safety blanket for for Brad as he starts to grow in those early games. So I, I, I'm looking for for Clive to, to be a big part of this offense, especially early on as Brad develops as a starter. Scott, uh, give me uh, two breakout performers, one on offense, one on defense. Uh, I, I've been very high on Brad Kaya since uh, he announced he was coming to UM, and uh, I think we were the first publication nationally to go on record and say that he was going to win the starting job. Uh, I, I look for him to have a a uh, very big season for Miami. I, I think that he's he's a very cerebral quarterback. He he reminds me a lot of Steve Walsh uh, and Ken Dorsey uh, in that he, he's a thinking man's quarterback. He, he knows the game of football, and uh, I, I think that he's like having another coach out on the field. Uh, and, and I'm very comfortable with where he is right now with the playbook. Um, defensively, I, I think uh, Perryman, I think, is going to show that, that, that he's world-class. Uh, he's he's all everything. Uh, he's he's going to go very high in the NFL draft, you know, assuming he has a good year. Uh, I I think he's he's going to show his worth this year. I, and I think that the more talent that you put around Perriman, the more talent is going to show from him uh, because he doesn't have to be all over the field. He can stick to his position and do what he needs to do. Um, but I think above all and above everything else, I think you're going to see a a big year from from Duke Johnson. Uh, Duke has a lot to prove uh, to the national media that uh, we're not very high on him last year um, and we're skeptical about him coming back after the injury. Uh, he's, he, he's got a lot of love locally, but I think he's got something to prove on the national stage to show that he's as good or better than anyone else. And quite frankly, I think he, he really could be one of the five that that, that goes to New York for the uh, Heisman Trophy ceremony. Uh, that's the type of year I'm expecting f- from Duke Johnson. And Mikey G, give me your breakout, guys. Um, I think a guy that was injured last year, halfway through the year, that had a good year his sophomore year, I'll go with on offense, is Philip Dorsett. Looking at his numbers, his sophomore year in 2012, he had 1,100 yards total on offense, about 850 receiving, and about 250 to 300 yards. Um, kick return, punt returning. Now, will he be the main guy on special teams? You know, we talked about the other guys, um, so probably not. But what I look for him is a wide receiver with Cooley getting so much attention. Um, he could be a great security blanket going across the middle in the slot or just getting, like, lots of wide receiver screens like Cooley can do. He's a smaller guy, but he's very shifty, and as you've noted multiple times, he's got a really fast 40, so he could get behind um, defenders if they decide to take shots deep. So, I look for him to have a nice bounce back year. Last year he had 270 yards um, receiving, so I hope he can get back on track and show us in his senior year why he was brought in so highly regarded. Um, in the defense, I'm actually curious to see what Dallas Crawford can do because the guy was a you know a four or five star recruit by some you know recruiting places as a corner of safety and then as a running back in high school. And we moved him back to safety, and he played, you know, special teams, or not special teams, but scout team, and he was player, you know, of the year, his freshman year. And I just thought it was so that he could get more playing time. And then all of a sudden, well, he's been starting all of, you know, spring camp, and now he's actually still starting going into the first game. So I I have no idea how he's going to be back there, but it seems like everybody's really high on his performance, and he can do really well. So I'm looking for Dallas Crawford to do – some interesting things this year. 
and I'm very curious to see what he will be doing. And you actually took my answer for defense in Crawford, so I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust uh, a little sorry. bit and say that. Uh, that's all right. I, I've been I've been high on Crawford just because of his style of play at running back and the background he had in high school. Uh, I've been high on this switch since since it was announced. But since you said Crawford already, I'll mention another guy in Artie Burns. That um, it, it's hard. We got a small sample size last year of him on defense as a true freshman, but the little bit I saw, I really liked. Uh, I, I like the way he plays the ball. You know, I like how fluidly he moves around. I think he's a terrific athlete, and I think he has a chance to be a special corner opposite Tracy Howard. Now, that's not to say Ladarius Gunther, you know, who's been solid at UM for two years now, and uh, Antonio Crawford, who's had a really nice uh, fall camp as well, several interceptions in practice and, and did some nice things. Not to say that those guys aren't good. Another guy that you could also throw in this mix of breakout players, Corn Elder, uh, who's a fantastic athlete as well. Um, it's not to say those guys aren't going to be good corners. Uh, I just think that Burns has a little something special that those guys don't have, a little extra gear. So so we'll see how it plays out because there's a lot of technique involved with playing the corner position. And we have to see, you know, that he has, you know, kind of refined his skill set at corner in addition to, you know, using his athletic ability. But Burns is a guy I'll pick since you pick Crawford. Uh, on offense, I really like Malcolm Lewis. Uh, it's going to be tough for him to get a lot of snaps because they have – Braxton Berrios, a true freshman who is getting a lot of work at the slot. And uh, Herb Waters kind of plays a little bit of everywhere, but he does a lot of work at the slot too. But, you know, Malcolm Lewis was very highly touted coming to UM two years back, and he had that devastating injury at Georgia Tech that we all remember all too well. Um, Before that, he looked like he had that little special wiggle that you like in a slot guy. And all reports are that he's coming back healthy, and he is as healthy as ever, and he looks good, and he he feels good. And um, you know, if you when you when you think about uh, bringing in a new quarterback, uh, especially a guy that's you know mixed between the ones and the twos, they often have that rapport when they're working with the twos or the threes, even uh, with the twos and threes at wide receiver. And I'm thinking that Kaya and Lewis probably did a lot of work together uh, before Kaya was you know put in as as the full time starter i think that was, i think 8 days ago they said he really separated himself and started taking more of the snaps although he's been taking a lot of snaps you know since the beginning of camp um i, I look for him to build a nice chemistry with Malcolm Lewis so so those are my two guys all right guys uh moving forward um i want to look at the season as a whole a little bit more and aside from breakout players i want to talk about schedule you know, how many wins we think Miami's going to have this year? Who do you think they're going to lose to? Um, you know, where do you project them to be in terms of the ACC race and, and bowl games and all that good stuff? So I'll start with you on this one, Scott. Give me give me a little prediction time. Tell, tell me what you expect this team to do. And I, I know we covered this a little bit when I did the, the full season preview, but, but let's recap where you think Miami's going to be by the end of the year. Uh, I, I think Miami's capable of a 10-win season. I, I think that the tail of the tape is going to be at Nebraska, uh, who had a real struggle getting by FAU yesterday, 55-7. Uh, but I just don't Didn't think they that they've got a yardage record too. Uh, they got like 700 yards, but I mean, the, you know, FAU is FAU is, is, is not a very good football team. Um, I, I don't see them becoming a very good football team anytime soon. Uh, although Charlie Partridge is, is coming in and doing a, a remarkable job there, 
uh, you know, for the for the ability that he has uh, to draw talent to Boca. Uh, I mean, I'm envious of them because they have their own on-campus facility, uh, but they just have nobody showing up. Uh, I did two of their games last year, and uh, you could yell from the press box to the other side of the field, and they'd hear you. Um, you know, my, my main. I'm sorry. I said that's never a good sign. No. Uh, my biggest concern is the Nebraska game. I think if we could sneak out of Nebraska uh, with a win, uh, I think it would be a real feather in Golden's cap. I think that would be uh, a true signature victory, uh, and it would put his stamp on the program. Uh, you know, they did beat Florida last year, but Florida didn't really turn out to have such a great year. Uh, Jeff Driscoll did go down, but uh, they did lose to uh to, to to Georgia Southern at home, so you really can't uh, make that your stamp of approval. Um, but I, I I really think Miami's capable of a big bowl game. They're capable of winning the Coastal. Uh, they have a tough ACC schedule, just like they do every year. I mean, it's no different. It's not like they're playing different teams. Um, they have some of them at home. Uh, some of the tougher games they had last year on the road are going to be at home this year. Uh, you know, Duke is going to be coming to Miami. Miami does go to Georgia Tech, which is always a tough game up there, but I, I just don't see Georgia Tech being what they used to be, uh, even though they, they, they have uh, Chris Yandel, but I don't think he's going to be running the football. Um, he's you know one of Miami's former athletic directors. Uh, very nice guy and a you know, very good uh, friend of the website. Um, you know We wish him the best of luck, but uh, on October 4th, uh, I hope he's upset. Um, I, I just see Miami winning a lot more games than people give them credit for. Uh, you look at the November 15th game against Florida State. Uh, Florida State didn't look that that great last night. Uh, I, I think they showed that their their vulnerability. They're not as talented on offense uh, right now as as everyone thinks they are. You know, at least at least I didn't see it. They're very tough on defense, and they've got a very good uh, quarterback. But I think Miami, you know, can be up to the task. I mean, they're going to they're going to be playing a lot of football between now and then. They're going to have time to improve and 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 get a lot of experience under their belt. And I'd rather play that game late in the season. For for those of you wondering that that'll be listening to this when we get it up on the site, uh, uh, Scott's referencing uh, Chris Yandel, who's was the assistant athletic director and the sports information director at UM, he, he moved on to uh, other pastures. I won't say greener at, at Georgia Tech. He's done a lot of good work for us, and we're going to miss him. So we, we wish him well um, at Georgia Tech. He just on October 4th. So that that's what Scott was referencing. Uh, Craig, tell me what you expect this team to do in terms of wins, who you think they're going to lose to, you know, where we where we're going to see him at the end of the year. Well, first of all, I want to I build off what you said of regarding Chris Yandel and Chris Freak. Those guys are absolutely outstanding. I gave those guys a, a nod and acknowledgement for my book because they were instrumental in, in, in giving me any information I needed, you know, even fact-checking, just, just giving tireless amounts of time to help me out. So uh, kudos to, to both of those gentlemen. Um, as far as the season, uh, boy, I tell you what, I – I'm going to go ahead and call nine and three for the regular season. I think that trip to Nebraska is going to be very difficult. Uh, you know, Memorial Stadium is a tough place to play. I 
you know, I, I could definitely see a loss there. You, you, you return home and you face a team that, that beat you last year in Duke on September 27th. Can't take them lightly. Uh, the games at Georgia Tech are always a battle. And then you've got a Cincinnati team, which uh, certainly you, you should beat, but, uh, you know, is, is a Tommy Tuberville-led team, so you can't take them too lightly. Then you got a week to prepare for Virginia Tech before North Carolina comes into town. And, and North Carolina certainly has been prognosticated by some to be the the, the coastal champion. And, and Virginia Tech also breaking in a, a, a brand-new quarterback as well, Uh not Logan Thomas is, is <laughs> seems like he's been there seven years. It's finally gone. Um, but, you know, those games are kind of hard to call right now. Virginia Tech has been down. What they did last year I think was, you know, credit to Tech for what they did in, in, in executing. But I really think that was a game that I can't recall seeing Miami shoot themselves in the foot more times than they did in that Virginia Tech game last year. So never an easy trip to go up to Virginia Tech, but I think Miami – I, I feel good about their chances against Virginia Tech because they just Virginia Tech doesn't seem like they've been recruiting that as well as they have, and their program hasn't been as high as they have. I'm more worried about North Carolina at home, uh, which I think could be a tough game, and obviously Florida State first game, uh, quality opponent Oklahoma State. Uh, it, it's a six-point win. You know, you usually don't see that that the you know, Florida State defense give up the you know. Give up those many big plays and, and, and allow that allow that much push. Um, but uh, well, let's not kid ourselves. Florida State is an extremely talented football team. As long as they have Jameis Winston under center and they have the playmakers that they have on both sides of the ball, it's going to be a very very difficult game to win. So uh, I would see I would see a loss in the floors to, to Florida State and Nebraska, and then one more maybe that we weren't expecting. So. Uh, I'll go with nine and three, and that Pittsburgh game. Who knows at the end of the year? Though, I mean, they put it on uh, their opponent yesterday, but I mean, who knows? That game is at home to end the year, so uh, three of the last four games are at home to end the year. So hopefully that'll help uh, round out uh, at least a nine-win season. I, I'd be happy with nine wins. Certainly, I've seen anything more than that. I think it would be a terrific season. Uh, thank you, Craig. Um, now let's let's go to Mike Grunewald and. If you guys notice, when I'm happy to talk to Mike, I call him Mikey G. When I'm anticipating him, <laughs> when I'm anticipating an answer that's going to spoil my Sunday, I call him Michael Grunwald. I get the full name. Huh? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, I kind of look at myself as the father of the blog, and you guys are my children, even though Scott's like twice uh, my age. Yeah. <laughs> but Mr. Grunwald. Yeah. Okay. Take, take off I mean, your... Take off the orange and green glasses that we're all wearing here and tell, tell us what to expect. Oh, I, I, I think optimistically, I agree with Craig, is that um, it could be nine wins if things go right, but I would probably lean towards more seven and five. Um, and I just here, and I'm going to write about it for my post tomorrow. And my inaugural, I will say, went off very, very well um, last week. But I think what happened. Miami has three, and I'm just being honest, I think Miami has three years' worth of really good talent. You know, we're talking about Duke Johnson and Stacey Cole and Brad Kyle. Those are guys from the last three years. But, you know, you have Chicolo and you have Perriman, who are very good upperclassmen. And you have Dorsett. But I think this team is chock full of, if you look at it, more of redshirt sophomores and below. I think Golden in two years, I'll be honest, could be up there with, like, the Alabama-level, Florida State-level type of talent. We're seeing this recruiting class coming in 2015. And 2016 is looking like gangbusters as well. And so, hypothetically, I know it's a year and then two years away, respectively. 
those teams could, you know, if those guys were to come in, it would be very good. Um, and they could develop. And we, I would think then we would have the talent to where we would be wanting to be. But because of the sanctions and because of, you know, Golden coming in his first year and taking, you know, Cam's talked about it before, taking a few players that, you know what, maybe you could have taken that Temple for redshirt and develop over two or three years, and then as their senior year comes, they could play. But that's Conference USA and, you know, AAC work. That's not ACC work. Um, and so I see the teams that have more talent, like Nebraska. You know, Bo Pelini's won nine games every year, but he's bringing in solid talent. Um, Virginia Tech, um, you know, Florida State, those guys have been there. Well, Beamer's been there for about 15, 20 years now. But they're bringing in talent that's really good and that fits their system. And to be honest, our coaching staff hasn't really necessarily developed our lower-level players. You know, who are the guys we've been talking about? All high-rated players. They've come in. They've given them good teaching, and those guys have, you know, plug in and play. Um, but our low-level guys, you know, maybe the Cro- Antonio Crawford come in and play well. But overall, you know, when I've been doing the pieces that I've enjoyed, which are the ones about the recruits, you know, four years later, a lot of the smaller guys, you know, the lower-ranked guys, in ha- the mid-ranked guys especially, ha- haven't panned out, whether it's, you know, academics or discipline. But, you know, also coaching, they haven't necessarily panned out either. So that's why I, I think the staff is okay that we have on the team. Um, but I don't see them necessarily developing the lower level. So I think in two years, if we could just get, you know, really good recruiting like we have and plug and play, then, yeah, sure, we'll be really good. But I haven't seen the development. Um, and that, that is just my um, opinion on it. So I would probably go seven and five. Um, lean more towards that. Um, you know, we've talked about the likely suspects. I think Georgia Tech, they lost like 15 players this off season just because of discipline and academics. So they're really wild card. The whole coastal itself is really up in the air. Um, but I think Virginia's better. I watched them yesterday, and their defense is good. Offense is terrible, but um, they're better. But I would probably go with seven and five. All right, Mike, and that's that's a very uh, well thought out. Um, you know, well done um, perspective, and and I appreciate you, you know, being kind of the voice of reason for us. I <laughs> am trying to look at this without bias. I'm trying to look at Miami as an outsider, and I, I I see nine wins even even doing that, and it goes back to some of the same things we said about the Louisville game. Um, you know, a couple of years back when Florida State was losing games that they weren't supposed to, people were all over Jimbo Fisher. And, you know, they were saying, you know, this team's losing games they shouldn't. What's going on here? I, I know, you know, listening to Florida State fans, you know, complain about him. And now all of a sudden uh, he's, you know, a miracle worker. And, and, and what it boils down to to me is just that roster is just so loaded with talent. Now, Miami's not at that level yet, but they're getting closer. And, I mean, you look at their opponents, yes, North Carolina's good, but they're a little bit top-heavy. Uh, yes, Duke has an unbelievable coach in David Cutcliffe, and they still have some good players on that roster. Uh, but, you know, they're they're not on Miami's level. There's no way. Uh, Virginia Tech, like you said, hasn't been the same. I kind of think Logan Thomas is almost addition by subtraction by seeing him go off to the NFL because he played so poorly for them last year, except when he played Miami. But, but top to bottom, I, I don't think they have more talent than Miami. I go through Miami's entire schedule, and I think Nebraska – Maybe Miami and Nebraska are on the even par in terms of talent, player for player. Um, Florida State is more talented than Miami, clearly. Miami's going to have to outplay them to win that game. 
And, I mean, I, I just don't see anybody else. Louisville's got some good players, but the Parker injury is huge. I mean, Parker might have been the best player on the field tomorrow night had he not got hurt. He, he's that good. But not having them, not having him really helps Miami. So, I mean, there's, there's concerns. I'm still extremely concerned about defensive tackle. Um, I'm less concerned about Kaya, but he is a freshman quarterback. I'm extremely concerned about linebacker depth. But beyond, you know, those three things, I look at it, Coley, Duke Johnson, Eric Flowers, a guy we haven't mentioned, you know, Chad Thomas, the freshman defensive end who's ready to roll, ready to play right away, and, and you know, could potentially be a freshman All-American by the end of the year, the way he looks, you know, in fall camp. Perryman, and the back end is just loaded with guys. Dion Bush could have a big bounce back season. Crawford, uh, we haven't even talked about Hester and Guy at the two freshman safeties. Um, you know, they're they're – they're getting there. The, the talent level should dictate a nine-win season, in my opinion. Um, now, defensive scheme has been something that fans have questioned, something we've talked about. Uh, the defensive guys have to be in the right place. The defensive guys have to do a better job tackling in addition to, to knowing where to be. So until I see that, that's a major concern as well. But talent-wise, this is a nine-win team, in my opinion. So I will leave it at that. Uh, thank you guys for your answers. I think we're going to move on to something a little bit uh, different now. We've we've covered the games quite a bit, and that's what we're best at. But I want to talk a little bit about yesterday's action, and, and let's start with a game that Scott referenced in, in Florida State and how they struggled a little bit with Oklahoma State. And, Scott, since you're the first one to bring it up on this call, I'm going to start with you. Um, um, give me a little bit – expand a little bit upon, uh, about what you're talking about with Florida State struggling. I mean, was that just Florida State taking Oklahoma State lightly, or are they just not the same team they were last year? I think they lost a lot of guys to the NFL, and uh, they obviously had a very good draft class, and they were very solid last year. And it's very difficult to replace all of those guys. Uh, you know, they went to Rashad Green a lot. I mean, he was a bulk of their offense. Uh, you know, you see number 80 come barreling down the field, you, you know, you're going to have to put a couple guys on him. Um, but I, I think that he and Winston were, were the offense. Uh, I didn't see a running game similar to what we've seen in years past. Um, I didn't see Nick O'Leary have a game uh, or the tight end position have a game that, 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 that we're used to seeing from them. Uh, it looks almost to me like they were changing their game plan a little bit. Uh I don't think they took Oklahoma State too lightly because Oklahoma State's a very good football team. Uh, I, I, I like their quarterback, Walsh. I, I think that uh, he, he had the game of his life. Uh, I, I think he exposed uh, FSU's uh, weakness against the run. Uh, I, I think he had the middle of the field any time he wanted to take it. Uh, their linebackers were, were, were playing a little soft. Um, I, I just don't think that, that FSU can reload the way people think that it's easy to reload in the NCAA. I mean, they had a lot of, of great recruits, no doubt about it, and they took some players from Miami that I would love to have. But I didn't see those players on the field last night. And I think they're either going to redshirt them or they're going to wait and see if, if they really need to use them. Uh, but the, the older players just aren't as good as what they're replacing. Yeah, I, you know, kind of referencing, he, he did go to green quite a bit. And something I talked about before this game and in the off season was uh, how much he missed uh, Kelvin Benjamin because that guy made catches when he was covered for him. So that, that's going to be something to watch. Um, 
Um, Craig, what did you see from Florida State yesterday, and, and should their fans be concerned? Well, I, I referenced earlier, but like you just said, uh, you know, kind of the push that they've had up the middle, uh, you know, that was surprising to me, that the, the ground that they gave up the middle. But, uh, you know, obviously with the loss of Kelvin Benjamin, uh, you know, being being the weapon that he was, uh, you know, Florida State still has, has, has talent enough offensively to to overcome that and 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 the play you know just as is as Oklahoma State starting to pull him back in it's 30 to 24 uh Jameis Winston gets off just an absolute strike just a complete dart uh and hits I believe Rashad Green right in stride I mean the football place where it had to be uh for the eventual game-winning touchdown so uh, obviously they're trying to you know Good things set on defense, and and and, I'm, and they have enough talent there. Uh, but yeah, you know, as, as, as was mentioned, they lost plenty to the NFL. But uh, they still have that offensive firepower to to keep them you know, to win shootouts if they need to while they get that defense set. They've got the Citadel coming up next week, and they've got an off week before they face a Clemson team who looked quite vulnerable themselves yesterday against Georgia and or should I just say Todd Gurley, not sure which, but then they go to NC State, get Wake Forest, Syracuse. So, uh, you know, the road still sets up for them to, to be undefeated going uh, into that Thursday night game at Louisville. So, you know, I, I don't think it's cause for panic. I think the schedule is favorable, like I said, and, and they have just enough absolute athletes on the offensive side of the ball to, to overcome any defensive shortcomings uh, going in late in the season where they really have some serious, some tests against Louisville and Miami. Before the Gators, obviously. Yeah, I, I, to, just to build off your point, I don't think that defense is going to be terrible all year long. I don't think they were terrible yesterday. I think they just played an Oklahoma State team that was very well prepared um, and, and, and made some big plays against them. Uh, Mike, what did you see from Florida State yesterday? And, uh, and you know, is there a crack in the armor? Um, I mean, Florida State just had on defensive breakdowns that fake receiver screen that went for a streak. That was awesome just watching because they just completely blew that one. Um, but as I wrote in my power, you know, conference or what is it, uh, the, was it the power rankings for Florida, I, I thought they could, re, you know, just plug in more players and go. But yesterday was definitely um, interesting to me. Uh, I'm just looking at the stats and, you know, Green had 11 catches for 200 yards, and Winston completed, like, what, 25 passes, so he had about half of them, and he had two-thirds of his passing yards, just the one player. So um, I think with a better – I know Oklahoma State played pretty good on defense, was, but with was better corner play, I think that could be an issue for um, the Knowles. They have to get the ball to other players. And I know they got three freshmen playing, and then they got Whit- at wide receiver, and then they have Whitfield, um, who's a sophomore, I believe, so – um, former Miami recruit right there. He committed. Might might add that too. Um, but so they are. They have work to do. But as you are laying out the um, schedule, they have some time to figure it out. You know, you see a lot of difference from week two and three going into the season. You know who they are. So it could have been a blip in the radar. And here's the thing too. Florida State's been good the last you know you know three four years under Jimbo. But now they are the hunted. You know, they're not the hunter anymore. They're the hunted. People are going to be coming after them and giving them the best shot ever. You know, they're not Wake Forest coming in and playing at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. They're Florida State, and they have to get prepared for that mentality because 
that was one of the reasons I think Miami in the last, you know, from 2005 to now, you could argue, has fallen off is because under the last few coaches, not necessarily Golden, they never really had that mentality. And so Florida State has to get in that mentality that they have to bring it every week. They can't lackadaisical through. Or they're, they're in trouble because you saw yesterday Oklahoma State gave them the best game. And that's just one week, the first game. So we have to see if they can continuously have that mental, you know, fortitude, I guess, to continue working. So that's what I look for with them. Yeah, two things uh, I want to add to this this segment. You do bring up a good point. I did say that, you know, Oklahoma State played a good game, but that one long touchdown was a complete total breakdown. And I think, I think Florida State will get that corrected. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit uh, about Jameis. Um, he had a good game. He, if that ends up being their closest game of the season, then he repeats as a Heisman Trophy winner. And that 30-yard uh, run where he did the quarterback draw will be like a Heisman moment. That he, he did some really special things and showed you, you know, what kind of an athlete he is. But something I observed that if I were a Florida State fan, which I'm not, that would I be I would be disturbed with. Uh, Oklahoma State did get some pressure on him. But there were times when he didn't, he didn't have pressure on him that he was heavily leaning on his back foot. Um, you know, Miami fans can remember last season, you know, pounding the pavement because Stephen Morris did that quite a bit. Um, that, that's something that if I'm Florida State's coaching staff, I'm trying to correct immediately and not let that develop into a habit. He had a couple throws last night, even on passes that he completed, where he was leaning on his back foot a little bit too much, uh, you know, depending on his arm, not showing good mechanics. So you wonder if he's picking up some bad habits. I still thought he played a great game, um, and, and that, that'll be something to watch. Um, that team's talented enough that even if he drops off a little, uh, they're still one of the top programs, teams in the country. Um, but, you know, that, that's something that I noticed that could be, a, you know, a little bit of kryptonite for, for Jameis. So we'll have to see how that develops. All right, guys, um, I want to talk – about I want to do our non-Kane related segment that we do every every time we do a podcast, and uh, NFL football starts in a week. Um, I'm going to start with Craig on this one. Uh, Craig, give me give me an outlook on this season. Give me your top two or three teams and uh, surprise teams, surprise players. What, what's something you're you're looking forward to most next Sunday? Well, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to next Sunday is tailgating, but that's just that's just me. I'm looking forward to I'm a Buccaneer season ticket holder for the first time, so I'm going to get out there for that four o'clock game against Carolina and uh, and uh, look forward to start seeing the Bucks start the season off the the right way. You know, as far as is you know when you look at uh, the hunch, the hunter becoming the hunted. You know, you really look at, at, at can Seattle repeat what they were able to do? I mean, obviously the talent that they have is is phenomenal, but. Uh, you know, a healthy Percy Harvin is going to be huge for them. Uh, but you know, when you know when you think about Seattle, you know, I, I still don't think about an offense. You know, granted, Russell Wilson has has been as cerebral and as outstanding as 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 you could expect or hope for a young quarterback. But I'm just not sure if if they're you know if if they just to, to put it as, as bluntly as I can. I just don't know if that offense is enough to scare me right now. Uh, and speaking of teams that that do have the offenses to scare me, uh, I, I look for a bounce back here from both the Saints and potentially from Atlanta if they can get enough offensive line play. Uh, they, they just lost from their offensive lineman, but um, you know, I think Atlanta could be a bounce back team. New Orleans, um, 
AFC, obviously, with with uh, uh, the talent that, that Denver has, I think they're the clear favorite to uh, to uh, take the division uh, as well as as make make run all the way to the Super Bowl again. But uh, New England adding, uh, you know, we're, pay, we're basically upgrading and keep the lead with uh, Darrell Revis is huge for them. Uh, if they can do a little bit better against stopping the run, I think uh, you know they have enough to they have enough to challenge Denver this year. So I'll be curious to see uh, uh, what they can do and and really in, in the as far as the um, AFC North this year, uh, you know, can Cincinnati repeat again as division division champions? Uh, all the the faith that they put in Andy Dalton in Cincinnati is, is a little surprising to me financially. But uh, you know, can Pittsburgh bounce back and take control of that division? Can Ben Roethlisberger reestablish himself uh, in that team as one of the top teams in the uh, in the AFC? With the questions they have at running back now with, with Garrett Blunt and LeVan Bell uh, both facing suspension. So I think that's intriguing to see how that division, obviously, with Cleveland and Johnny football, how that plays out too. But uh, I think Pittsburgh also is prime. Just, uh, you know, if Roethlisberger can, uh, can, can, can lead them back, I think they could be a bounce back team as well. Hey, Craig, before I let you go and, and move on, uh, the, the Buccaneers, the team that you follow most closely, you made a, a trade. Uh, last week and acquired Logan Mankins from from New England. The Patriots are very sneaky with their trades, but but what kind of player do you think? Is there anything left in the tank for Mankins? Do you think they're getting a good? Is it a good pickup for Tampa? I, I like the I love the move. Uh, you know I, you know when you look at uh, you know really a guy who can be on an island and play uh, Mankins. I think and I think it's proven that he can do that. Uh, obviously, the Buccaneers are looking for two guard positions to fill. It's just been a, a, a disaster, uh, the experiment so far at both positions. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, to whichever side, you know, the tight end doesn't line up, a lot of times they're going to be facing one-on-one situations. Uh, I think Mankins is, is uh, can, can really kind of help. Can, I think I think he can still hold his own in the in the uh, NFC South this year, so the challenge, obviously, with um, uh, you know uh, that first game against Carolina and having to learn a new offense in basically a week and a half, and certainly Carolina has an excellent front. Uh, so uh, you know he'll, the challenge will come early for him, but I thought it was an outstanding trade. I, I was shocked when I saw uh, you know ultimately what they gave up, but um, I, I thought it was good for both sides, but especially for for the Bucks. <laughs> All right, and one last question for you. I'm sorry, because you brought up their, their troubles with uh, the guard spot. A guy I have to ask about, um, if for no other reason, um, that, you know, he went to the same high school as me, is uh, former third-round draft pick Jeremy Zuda, who went to J.P. Stevens High School, which is my, my alma mater. Um, since you have a pretty good perspective on the Bucks, what happened with Zuda? Um, I think they ended up trading him to Baltimore, right? Was he just not the player yeah. they expected? Well, Zuta, one of the problems with the Bucks the past few years is that Zuta was a true swing interior offensive lineman. He played, uh, in fact, I think in, in 2012 it was, he played all. He played four positions on the offensive line, uh, certainly all three. I mean, he was that guy who never really could find his and lock himself in the position. Now, he played a lot of center, but he could also play both the guard positions. So, uh, I, I be, I, I'm really going to be curious to see what he can do in, in Baltimore uh, if he can key on a, on a single position because the Bucks 
given the injuries that they had to, to Davin Joseph, to, to Coral Nix, I mean, and Ted Larson, you know, the guys who were in the starting spots and the interior spots, I mean, they just had to continually move him around, and he was one of the few who managed to stay healthy. So uh, I don't think – and it's not it's not a small thing for to switch positions on the offensive line given the responsibilities uh, in the blocking schemes. It's a very difficult thing. I think he did about as well as you could, you could hope for, but um, – uh, he just never found that position. I think that that they were looking for a, a, a you know, obviously a fresh start with the, with the release of Davin Joseph in the trade. But uh, you know, I, I'm really curious if Zudok can get a look at one position and stick with it and have the ability to stick with it. I think he, I, I think he's got the chance to be pretty good. Hey, thanks for answering that. I'm probably the only guy on that's that's listening to this or participating that has any interest in Zuda. But thank you for answering. Um, I, I'm going to move to Scott now, who's going to talk about something with us, I'm sure, that more of our listeners, you know, being from South Florida, are going to be interested in. Uh, Scott, give me give me some analysis on the Miami Dolphins and give me your overall impressions of the NFL. Uh, I, I, I'm very curious to see what Sean Moreno does. Uh, I, I look to, to him to take over for Lamar Miller, who uh, I just don't think is going to have the ability to do what he did at UM in the NFL. Uh, I'm very sour on Lamar Miller. I, I, I don't see him uh, being a, a starting running back. Uh, I, I think he was excellent in, in college, and, and in, at UM he did some very good things with, with, with Mike James. Uh, but I think Sean Moreno is going to win that job, I think, by week four. Um, I, I think that he's shown more in, in the one preseason game that he participated in than, than Lamar Miller has shown in two years. Uh, and I think that my, that Miami needs Sean Moreno to be able to pick up the blitz, to keep Ryan Tannehill upright, and also to be able to, to carry the ball. Uh, and I think that's going to be very important to Tannehill's growth as a quarterback, uh, to have a ground game and to be able to actually throw the ball standing up uh, and I think that if that doesn't happen, then I, I see Joe Philbin on the hot seat during the season. Uh, I, I just don't think Miami made enough moves talent-wise to really improve off of last year's team. Uh, they didn't do much in free agency. Uh, I think their draft was horrible. Uh, they got small school guys that uh, I don't think are going to be able to contribute. Uh, I'm, I'm very sour on this administration. Um, I, I, I don't think Stephen Ross has done what it takes to to build a winner here in Miami, uh, and I think they need to just start from scratch and uh, basically make the NFL a redraft league and uh, start over again. Um, I just don't think they have the horses. Uh, I don't see Miami being better than seven and nine or eight and eight again, which means that, that Joe Philbin's going to be gone, uh, Dennis Hickey most likely will be gone, and Ryan Tannehill most likely uh, uh, will be gone. Uh, I think that there were some, some quarterbacks Miami could have taken in the draft this year that could have given them some depth at the position that they could have groomed, but they didn't. They could have taken a running back like Trey Mason uh, in the third round, but they didn't. Uh, you know, Instead, they went to schools like Marist to find players, and that's not to say that, 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 that Terrence Feedy isn't going to be a good player, but uh, you know, I, I believe Jarvis Landry and and uh, Juwan James are the only players that were taken from major schools. Uh, you just can't win doing that. Uh, I remember uh, pulling the remaining hairs out of my head uh, 
watching the draft and saying, what the hell are they doing? Uh, I just think it's going to be more of the same for Miami this year. Uh, I think we have a better shot at the Canes winning the ACC championship than we do of the, of the, the Miami Dolphins going to the playoffs. Wow. Uh, I just don't see it being a very good year for them. Um, I think it's going to be a very frustrating year for the for, for Dolphin fans, uh, who really haven't had much to uh, to to cheer about recently. You know, we're still waiting for the big moves, and they just haven't happened. You know, Ryan Tannehill was the third best quarterback, and he went with the eighth pick. Uh, I think that was a little high. Uh, I, I just don't see him being the prototypical NFL quarterback that's going to be able to lead the Dolphins uh, to victory. I think, if anything, I'd rather see Matt Moore behind center. Wow. I think I think he's done more with less. Scott, with the brutally honest dissection of the Dolphins, i tell you one thing Dolphins fans are probably happy about. No more hard knocks, because those awkward moments between Joe Philbin and Chad Johnson, I, I had to change the channel, so... If there's one silver lining for Dolphin fans, that's it. Um, Scott, uh, give me a little bit more about the rest of the NFL. Who are, who are your playoff teams? Um, you know, any surprise picks for uh, possibly making the playoffs? Well, one thing that, that I'd like to comment on before we get into that is um, Roger Goodell came out and changed the policy on domestic violence charges. And we all know that, that you know Ray Rice got away with murder. Uh, by only getting a two-game suspension. Uh, and now it's six games at a minimum for, for the first offense, and it could be a lifetime ban for the second. And, uh, you know, just today it was announced that Ray McDonald from the 49ers was arrested on alleged domestic violence charges on a pregnant woman. Um, and for those of you that are listening that know me, know that I, I, I take a strong stance against domestic violence uh, in any incident, uh, and I'm very curious to see how this is handled now by Roger Goodell. Um, I, I think that this is going to be the telltale of his rule as a punishment czar, so to speak. He's, he, he, you know, he came out all week, uh, basically yelling me a culpa. I made a mistake in, in, in Ray Rice. I want to see how this is handled now with, with Ray McDonald. Um, and I think that that's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out because there is a lot of domestic violence that goes on in sports, and it's something that should not be overlooked. Uh, it's a very important issue in today's society that I think that we as members of the media have to bring to the forefront to make sure that you know we do what you know we can to, to call attention to it and, and, and do what we can to make sure that, that it's cut down. Uh, uh, I know that that's a little bit of a, you know, a uh, stretch. I, I, I'm, o- I, I'm okay with you ad-libbing that. Um, you know, I hadn't planned on, on going down that route uh, on this particular episode, but I, I'm actually glad you brought it up, and I, I, I'm i 100% behind you on that. Uh, you know, it's interesting, though. I'll, I'll add something to it. Um, Goodell should take a harder stance, and he should punish these guys more, and, and I wasn't with the Ray Rice punishment i thought he should have got you know a much harsher punishment but i think society needs to pick up the slack where goodell might be dropping it i mean why is this guy not facing charges i mean i guess you know it's up to his fiance to press him and she decided not to um but you know in, in, in other similar cases I, I i think 
you know, our laws need to be stricter, and, and, and that's the way to really eliminate this. I, 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 what I'm getting at is I think it's more of a societal issue than an NFL issue. But, you know, Goodell, you know, as the boss, um, really could do more, and, and, and I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, he's taking a hard-line stance against failed drug tests, and, um, you know, he, he they upheld – uh, Josh Gordon's suspension for a year, the Cleveland Browns wide receiver, and you know they've they've tried you know to clean things up in terms of off the field behavior in the NFL, and I commend him for that. But he did drop the ball on Ray Rice, and that is an area for improvement. And I'm I'm with you 100% on that. So um, you're right; it'll be interesting to see how he handles Ray McDonald. Uh, but we'll we'll save more of that conversation for another time. Um, it, it is worth talking about, though. But I want to stick. Uh, to the original topic and move on to uh, Mikey G and see what he has to say. I know you're a big Redskins fan, um, and I won't even get into that controversy today because we could do an entire episode on that. Um, but yeah. but let, me, let, me ask you, yeah, let me ask you what you think about on the field, about the Redskins and, and on the field, what you expect to see from, from, from you know, some of the surprise teams and what you think are going to be the teams that do really well this year. Um, the Redskins is going to be interesting because this is um, Robert Griffin III's real um, year. All of a sudden, you know, last year he had the knee injury. He came back quickly from and played at the beginning of the year, and he probably shouldn't have played the first half of the season because he didn't look very right, very much like the Stephen Morris type of nagging injury concern last year. But this year he's fully healthy, no knee brace. So apparently that's his choice. And now he's got Deshaun Jackson, Garcon, Jordan Reed, former Florida product. Um, he has the options um, back there. Alfred Morris, uh, you know, 1,500-yard rushers, you know, rookie year. And last year, I think he had about 1,400. So now all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't have the excuse of the coaching staff, which was the Shanahan's last year, the injury. Now it's on him. And we'll have to see. And, you know, Theismann came out and said it um, and got a lot of publicity here, a little bit on ESPN, but not necessarily nationally, about saying how Kirk Cousins in the preseason practices – as well as the games look better than RG3. And then, of course, the fans saw it as well. It was very apparent. Um, the Browns game on Monday night, he, you know, Robert Griffin looked like a UVA quarterback, completing a lot of shorter passes, went long once or twice. Um, and then on the third time he went long, he got picked off by Hayden um, for Cleveland in the preseason game. But overall, it's going to be 10 RG3 with these, like, Madden-like players on offense, you know, a fast guy, a tall guy, a good tight end. Can he, can he execute? Because he has really no excuses anymore. Um, but overall with the league, you know, you guys talked about the um, issues that happened in the last 24 hours. I you know, I don't feel sorry for Goodell because he's getting paid very well, but you have to, like, kind of feel for him in the sense that he came out and said, I missed up with, you know, Ray Rice. And, you know, I give him credit for that. Now, of course, what, three days later after coming out with this new – um, you know, policy, a guy <laughs> does it, um, breaks it. So we'll have to see or violates it, I guess, to be a better term. So we'll have to see how this yeah, comes his, out. His, but, his word is going to be tested almost immediately. So I, I understand what you're saying. You don't feel sorry for him, but you sympathize to an extent because yeah, uh, he's being put in a very precarious position. So, yeah. but, you know, one um, thing to, I think one thing to look at, Jerry, also is uh, you got breaking news involving the Houston Texans. They just traded for Ryan Mallett. Yeah, I was going to say that one. And, oh wow! And yeah, it uh, just happened. It just happened uh, while you know while we've been on the air. 
And uh, I think, you know, you you might take the over with Houston this year. I think he's going to be the starting quarterback at some point uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be uh, tough to bring him up to speed uh, this quickly with the season only a week away. I, I don't know if he has any familiarity with their offense, but that is a – and do you guys know what uh, Houston gave up to get him? Uh, Six-round pick. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That, that, that's – that's a heck of a pickup for them, considering that they didn't really give up much. I know New England traded for another, or not traded, they drafted another quarterback. Uh, his name Graffle. is Flipping Garoppolo, right? Garoppolo, yeah. So they must have been, been impressed with him as the you know future heir apparent to Tom Brady. But uh, Mallet is a guy that I really you know liked coming out of college, coming out of Arkansas. He's got a huge arm. He's tall, stands tall in the pocket. He's not your most mobile guy, but you look at what Houston has with DeAndre Hopkins, of course, the ageless UM former superstar Andre Johnson. Um, you know what they have on defense; I, they look like they're a quarterback away from contending for the playoffs. So that, that's a heck of a pickup for them. Um, I'm never a fan though, of trading either just before the season or midseason for a quarterback because it is you know, a position that demands so much in terms of, you know, film work and understanding offense and, you know, obviously knowing the terminology that teams use. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can he can get in there and make a difference for them. But but that's a great pickup for them, especially for a six-rounder. Which well, is remember the connection. Up. Remember there's a connection between Bill O'Brien. Oh, Scott, you're remember breaking up. Remember there's a connection between Bill O'Brien and the Patriots. Right, right. That's an excellent point that I, I that had slipped my mind. Um, yeah, Bill O'Brien's only a couple years removed um, from working with Mallet, so yeah, I, I think Mallet was probably drafted at a time when I'm sure he was that Bill O'Brien was still there. So yeah, he, that's that's a good point. He should have some familiarity. Uh, excellent point, Scott. So uh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that elevates the Texans. I mean, JJ Watt on defense. Um, you know, obviously Arian Foster. They're to me, they're a quarterback away from being a playoff contender because there's talent on that team. Um, they're still their pass defense has kind of been a bugaboo for a couple of years now, but they've they've tried really hard to upgrade that with some of their drafts. So that, that's a really really interesting uh, trade to hear about. So that should be interesting. All right, guys. Um, thank you for the update on that. By the way. Um, I think I'm just going to close out the show with something a little fun. Um, how many of you guys are, are involved in fantasy leagues? Anyone? I am. Yeah. I am. Pretty much all of us, right? So give me a couple of guys for, for some of our listeners that may still be doing their fantasy. I, I know a lot of people are doing their fantasy drafts this weekend. Uh, I did one that finished yesterday, and I'm doing one more this evening. Um, if I have time to get to it, otherwise I'll end up being auto-selected. Uh, give me a couple guys that you guys, uh, I'm going to start with you on this one, Mike. Give me a couple guys that, that you think uh, could be fantasy breakouts. Um, my one league, I helped my friend draft his other, but made sure he got Dez Bryant. Um, the Dallas defense is going to be terrible. Like, not even like just the worst in the league this year, but could be one of the worst ever. Um, so wow. they're going to have to throw a lot. I mean, it's it's really bad. They lost Sean Lee in the off season or preseason work, you know, OTAs, and they have Skandrick is out for four weeks because he was using a drug. 
Um, they they are really really bad. So they're going to be throwing a lot. Des Bryant's going to put up really good numbers. I would argue, if not, you know, just as good comparable to Calvin Johnson. Not necessarily in the same wide receiver stratosphere and talent wise. He's very good. Calvin Johnson's a Hall of Famer, but you know, fantasy football is statistics. And I think Des Bryant will be really good. Another guy who trended really well at the end of the year, and I got him in my team as well, is Corderell Patterson. Um, I know Minnesota's kind of got a hazy, um, fuzzy quarterback situation, even when they had Bridgewater, but he put up close to averages of like 100 yards a game as well as a touchdown a game for the last four or five weeks. Um, did very, very well. So I look for him to have a good year, whoever plays quarterback. And he's physically imposing as well. Those are the two guys I'd look at. Uh, Scott, you talked about Nosha Moreno on the field. What about in the fantasy world, and who else uh, might you like? Uh, I like Michael Floyd uh, from Arizona, I think, he, especially in a keeper league. Uh, I think he's going to have a breakout year. Um, and with Larry Fitzgerald uh, getting up there in age, I think that if you do have him in a keeper league, I think he can expand his role, uh, you know, depending on Fitzgerald's future. Um, I also like Jarvis Landry from Miami. Um, I think that they're going to put him in a position where he's going to be their go-to guy uh, once they're in the red zone. He he just seems to catch everything that, that that's thrown his way, and he's shown that at LSU. Uh, so I think he's going to uh, become a uh, fan favorite. And I think if you can get him in the you know mid, with the mid-round pick, I think it would be worth it. Craig, how about you? Who do you like in the fantasy world? Well, I. I, I depends in part upon your format, if you're PPR, if you're standard leagues. But, you know, maybe I'm kind of looking at things backwards here. But And, and I, I'm in an auction league with the salary, so every player is bid on. But I bid high on Drew Brees this year. I just think that I, I like the offense. You know, it's true. He lost Lance Moore. He's lost a little bit of that, uh, you know, a little bit of the skill set there. But, uh, you know, when you just look at it, what a player Jimmy Graham has become and the way that offense is set up, how much balance, how much success they've had, and the, and the fantasy numbers that he's put up. You know, I, you know, he's projected to, to you know, by a lot of sites, put up anywhere between five and six hundred points. So, I mean, you're talking about that, you know, that much production from your quarterback position. I like Drew Brees a lot this year. Um, you know, I, you know, looking at other positions, if you're looking at. Uh, uh, you know, uh, getting a getting a wide receiver earlier on, early on. I know it's it, it's kind of weird to to put any faith in in a Jay Cutler led offense sometimes, but he has been so myopic for Brandon Marshall over Alshon Jeffrey. It's not even funny. His target should be extremely high. He may have the potential for for a, a, a huge season, I think. So, um, you know, I, I I look strongly there, and uh, you know, if you're looking for um, someone that that may be a uh, a keeper league candidate, uh, you know, a younger player. I'd also look at, at, at going back to the Saints. Brandon Cooks got a lot of potential. I kind of fill that 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 role that was uh, vacated by Lance Moore leaving. So uh, keeper league, I'd look for him. Maybe try to get him late. And in a PPR league as well, Shane Vereen returning from injury. Hard to trust in you know, Bill Belichick led offense, but he is such a weapon in the passing game. I think he could be a good flex play throughout the year. Uh, and he should be available, you know, later on in the draft. So maybe try to pick him up. I, I went. Uh, I think I took Cooks in like the sixth round, and uh, guys were were mocking me for that. And one one of the leagues I'm in, I, I, I just, you know, I just loved him coming out of the, you know, coming into the draft. I, I love his skill set. 
He's a little bit on the smaller side, but, I mean, he catches everything. I think he had a, something like 100 yep. catches last year, over 100 in college. Uh, I took a gamble also early on Emmanuel Sanders in Denver with uh, Wes Walker getting yet another concussion, and, and I, I think Sanders has really built, quickly built a really good rapport with, with Peyton Manning, so I took a flyer on him. Um, I went really deep into my sleeper list to pick up Richard Rodgers, and I got him very late, uh, a tight end with Green Bay, who I think was a third-round draft pick a couple years ago and has yet to really do anything. Or actually, he's a rookie, I'm pretty sure. Um, or he might have been drafted last year and been hurt. I, I can't remember, but I, I, I kept reading and, and seeing in the preseason that he was their starting tight end. And, I mean, just playing around Aaron Rodgers, um, Richard Rodgers should get a decent amount of catches. So I, I really went gambled. I really gambled this year on a lot of guys that are sleepers. I mean, you know, you, you, when you take that strategy, it's hit or miss, and that that's kind of what I went with. I didn't go with the big names this year. I kind of went with the guys that I'm hoping um, were low or high risk, high reward. So should be interesting. Um, before I let you guys go, any any sleepers from the running back position? That's the one I didn't hear anybody really mention. Uh, uh, give me one sleeper at running back, each of you. I'll start with you, Craig. Uh, you know, I'd be curious to see kind of what happens in um, in Tennessee if Bishop Sankey, uh, you know, with 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 his, you know, kind of the more electric skill set that he brings uh, to the position than kind of the plotting Sean Green. I think he's got the chance uh, to secure that position and be successful. So I, I I'd look I'd look at him as a possible sleeper. Scott, do you have one sleeper at running back? Uh, I'm going to say Mike James. Uh, I think that, you know, Doug Martin's a good running back, but I think Mike James is uh, a proven talent who I think is going to get a lot of reps, and I think that he, he might end up taking that position over before the season's over. Uh, so he's a guy that uh, potentially could uh, break from the pack. Uh, he's he's healthy, and I think he, he's in, a, he's in a, very, a very good position. How about you, Mike? Devontae Freeman in Atlanta. He's a rookie, yeah. so we don't know his yet. And I've been watching Hard Knocks, and i got to tell you, I'm not um, – I wouldn't have much confidence if anyone drafts Steven Jackson that he'll make it through the year. The track record the last two, three years has not been well for him, unfortunately. You never want anybody to get injured. But he was used heavily with St. Louis, um, like his first seven or eight years. And so running backs, as we all know, don't have that long of a shelf life, and he's already up in age. And the last year and a half, two years, he's been injured. And Freeman, if you've been watching the show, has lit it up. So I, I have Freeman. Um, I got him in one of my last picks, and I'm going to hold on to him and see what happens. The guy I went with, I think I got him in either either the fourth or fifth round, right around the same time I got uh, Cooks. Uh, was Toby Gerhardt with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I really liked the way he played when he got carries in uh, Minnesota before he, he left for Jacksonville. I don't know that he's durable enough to hold up for the whole year, so this is another high-risk, high-reward. Um, I think with Jacksonville's quarterback situation, he should get plenty of touches. So if he can hold up and perform well, he, he's my sleeper at running back. All right, guys, this has been a fun show. Um We've touched upon the Canes. We've gotten, we've delved into some serious stuff, which is always good. Um, we've kept it light at times too. We've even talked fantasy football, so I appreciate it. Um, Mike, you, Mike, thank you for uh, coming on as usual. One of our regulars, Mike Grunewald. Thank you very much. Looking forward to reading more of your stuff on uh, previous draft classes and the defense, of course. Uh, Scott, 
thank you as always. Uh, semi regular on the podcast when we have them, which to my fault we haven't had that many of them lately. Scott, definitely looking forward to your work during the season. Scott's one of our main guys that covers games live for us and, and does a lot of high school reporting um, as well. Um, and of course, uh, Craig, thank you. This is your first time on the show. We appreciate it. Can you tell us one more time your book and where they can find it? Oh yeah, I appreciate it, Jerry. It's uh, called Game of My Life, Miami Hurricanes. It'll be available uh, uh, on Tuesday at uh, Amazon.com and in Florida bookstores. All right, gentlemen, thank you. I appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Thanks, 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 guys. Appreciate it.